0: Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be here. I am excited to be a part of this service. I hope you've had a great worship service so far. My name is Grayson. I help out with the UW-Eau Claire campus ministry. And, uh, you know, I I love recording myself. I'm sitting in Joel's chair in the office, uh, just taking over right now. And Joel can't do anything about it. So, you know, I feel pretty good. Uh, But I'm excited to preach this sermon today, it's a little bit strange. Uh, I'm not used to recording myself and even just seeing myself right now. Uh, but it's fun, and uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And I wanted to express my gratitude for the church. You know, I have i don't post often on Facebook. The other day I posted because I just felt so grateful to be a part of God's kingdom, to be a part of a family that I could go to any country around the world, and people would take me, and I could, I could even just go down the street and find someone who, who loves Jesus, who would take me in, and I'm so grateful that, that this family is that way, that we're really close, that we care about one another, that we treat each other with love and uh, truth and grace and all the things that Jesus calls us to do, and I I know we're imperfect, but I'm so grateful to be a part of this group, uh, so thank you for being an incredible church, and if you're just visiting with us, I know you can't get together with everyone and see what it's like, but I promise you, it's it's crazy how much... Everybody loves each other in this church. Uh, So when the quarantine is over, you know, swing on by and we'll have a regular service and it's going to be incredible. Amen. So, uh, you know, if you have a Bible, you could turn to John chapter 6. I've got my notes down here. That's why I'm looking down here. Uh, But the title of today's sermon is New Desires in Christ. And we're going to be reading in John chapter 6, the story about the bread when Jesus fed the 5,000 and then explained what that was all about. And what we'll see is that nobody really understood what he meant, but Jesus was using the bread as a signpost to point towards a greater reality, which was himself, the true bread, the bread of life, the bread that came down from heaven. That was him. And he wanted them to have a new desire. And so I want us to talk about desire just for a little bit you know what does that word desire mean and people can define words differently I think a good definition of desire in my opinion is just something that you want and are willing to put in effort to get you know it's not a wish it's not a dream it's not well I you know I kind of want uh, a Lamborghini but I'm not gonna try to get one there's a big difference between that that's a wish right or my in my dreams I I'm'm a, I'm a really uh even more large than I already am, and just a massive person. And yeah, I'm just never going to be Shaq. And that's too bad because I would love to play in the NBA. In my dreams, I play in the NBA, right? But my desires are things that there is a way to get them or I'm at least willing to try. You know, and and one of my biggest desires, one of, the, one of my places in my life that produces some of the most desire in me and joy and happiness and fulfillment is uh, my grandparents' place up in Walker, Minnesota. And I'm gonna put a few pictures on the screen, you can see them. I want you to show you what this is like. You know, This first one is a picture of the property. It's just a beautiful property on the lake, uh, Leech Lake up in Walker, Minnesota, and you can just see that beautiful sandy beach and the water, and there's actually forest behind it, and it's really close to the highway, so it's so easy to get to, best thing ever. Uh, you know, just Everything about this property is just excellent. And there's these huge pine trees nearby the property that are just gorgeous. I mean, everything about it is so great. Uh, you know, and that's my grandparents' place. And my family and I would go up there. And here's another picture of it. It's it's from the beach view out into the water on a sunset. Sunsets there are like nothing I've ever seen. You know, I, I've seen sunsets over the Pacific Ocean. And it's not nearly as interesting as a sunset over Leech Lake. And so, you know, I, I'm a little biased, but it's so beautiful. It's such a wonderful place. The water's all calm and just still, and there's this orange glow. I mean, it's just incredible. But, you know, the best part about Leech Lake is not the sun or the water or the place. It's actually the people that I go with. You know, this is my little brother Dalton. He caught a a big old, looks like a northern pike. It might have been Phil who caught it. That's my Uncle Phil standing behind him. And, you know, they're just so much fun to be around. Just those two, they're just a a blast. And I have so many memories like that one, of that place. And it fills me with a desire to go there and be with my family. And spend time with them, and have fun, and you know, catch fish or, or whatever. You know, we also we go out and we catch crawdads by the bucketful. I mean, it's so cool. You can just pick them up off the beach when there's a wave. um You know, and we have these buckets of crawdads, and the dogs are sticking their head in there trying to grab the crawdads because they want to eat them, I guess. You know, and and all these memories that I have playing 500 euchre with my family around the table, watching uh you know funny movies together and fishing, and shooting BB guns, and and mistakes. Grandpa, if you're watching, I'm sorry. You know, mistakes made with with BB guns. Uh, You know, all these things that that we've built memories there, and it's my favorite place on earth, and it fills me with desire. This is uh, my cousins, Jake, Zach, and Christina on the trampoline. They're real young here. Uh, I got these pictures from my granny, uh, so that's why they're all so old and grainy, but I love them. You know, and this is my cousin's on the trampoline, and we use that water trampoline to play tag and do all these cool things. It's so much fun. And you know, here's me performing an act of impossible physics and hovering over my center of gravity without falling. I mean, uh, you know, a very athletic young fellow there, and that dude on the right, the other guy without the red hair, that's my brother Cole. Uh, you know, and he's now much more athletic than I am. Big, strong, strapping dude. Uh, But right there, I clearly demonstrated my athleticism for all to see. Eli, take notes. You'll never be that strong in your core. Okay, so anyway, so what's the point? The point is that all these desires that I have, right, they produce in me so much happiness, these memories, these things that I've done, but also just this place because I have all these memories attached to it. I want to go there and I want to enjoy good food and family and, and fun. And it produces a desire in me to someday have that for my kids, if my wife and I have any, Lord willing, you know, to produce that for my friends, that my friends could go there and use that space. And, you know, just like my grandparents have done for my friends and my family. And so, you know, that, that desire is there. And there's a am willing to take action to make that happen. I'm willing to take action to see that fulfilled. And, and it's based in a real thing, right? It's not like the cabin. It's not a real place. Leech Lake isn't real. It's all real. But I can't be there right now. I can't just be there whenever I want. I'm not always in the place where I feel, you know, this this joy, even though I love my home. And, you know, obviously joy is mostly a mindset. Okay, so it's not, this isn't about you getting somewhere better. Actually, quite the opposite. But but how do we approach this idea of desire? You know, what what does desire mean? There's different ways that people look at this. You know, C.S. Lewis argued that because people desire God, therefore God must be real, and and it's a little bit more complicated than that. But it's a famous argument that he made, that many people find helpful or persuasive. Um, you know, and then there's people who are atheistic, which C.S. Lewis was once upon a time, and they feel that desire is, is often many of them will say desire is a function of evolutionary biology, and it just comes from a you know, desires create in us action and action helps us stay alive. And therefore it was reinforced in our biology by a a random mutation and an accident, um, you know, through macro and and micro evolution. And and that perspective might have some truth to it. I I don't know. I can't speak to it, but I do know this, that that doesn't sound very fulfilling or satisfying. Um, It's certainly not the only or the fullness of the truth. You know, Buddhism argues that desire is the source of pain. And it's so true, right? When you want something and you can't have it. How much that really hurts and you, you obsess over it. I mean, man, I'm an obsessive guy. I go to sleep at night thinking about things that I want and I can't sleep. Because I'm obsessing, going over and over in my head, right? So desire is the source of pain. Well, Buddhism's not wrong. It can be. And so what Buddhism would tell you at its most basic level is to suppress your desire. In other words, to stop desiring. Uh, but they know that that's a contradiction, because if you desire to stop desiring, now you have a desire, and that could cause you pain. And so the goal is to attain nirvana, perhaps by accident, right? That you you accidentally stop desiring, not desiring, and you just have no desires, and you attain nirvana. Now, I'm not an expert on Buddhism, but those are the things that I've read. And that's one way of viewing desire. And many people, when they think about following Jesus, they view desire primarily as Something to be suppressed. I need to suppress my desires because all my desires are evil and all I want is evil. And I would contend that that's not all Christianity is. Matter of fact, it's something far deeper, far more unique than any of those options I just laid out. And I know those are probably not the only options. But I believe that Christianity has desire it's very rude. That Jesus wants us to desire things. God made us to have desires. And those desires point us to something beyond the desires that we have right you want good bread you want that taste that nice weighty taste you know i want to go back to rome and just eat some pizza there oh my goodness one of the best things i've ever experienced so wonderful such a great time and you know the history there was probably why my blood was boiling with excitement but man it was so good and you just enjoyed that time with your friends that i had there with the peds and uh, the burns and some other folks as well um, you know, and so it's just like, wow, what a joy. I want to go back there. I have this desire for bread. You know, I have this desire for times of family. And I believe that ultimately, those desires are good and they point to something even better. Because those desires can be corrupted. Those desires can be corrupted by our sinful nature where we become gluttonous or we become greedy. Or we become violent towards those who disrupt our place of peace and happiness. And... Jesus is offering something so profound in John chapter 6 that most of the people do not understand it. And so if you turn to John chapter 6, verse 1. John chapter 6, verse 1. It says this. It says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five bodily loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. You know, the Jews in their time, they had a desire for a prophet, a Messiah, a leader, to come into the world and to save them from the things that they were experiencing and dealing with. You know, they were under oppression by the Romans, and there was just a lot of things going wrong. And they didn't like that. And they felt that they were God's chosen people. And they needed this prophet to come and rescue them. And they had a vision of how that would look. How he would do that. What his uh, path would be in saving them from these things. And they see Jesus doing this miracle of feeding 5,000 people. And they call it a sign. Sign is probably a better translation because sign points to what they meant. This sign means Jesus is more than what he seems. There's more to this guy than what meets the eye. Right? And so in verse 15, it says that Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So here they see, they see a reality, right? They see that Jesus is more than what he seems. He did this incredible thing that we can't explain. And so they want to make him king by force and Jesus having none of it withdraws. Why? Why? Is it because Jesus was opposed to the use of force? Yes, actually Jesus was, and he spoke often about his opposition to the use of force. Now it was a teaching that was hard for me to accept, and we'll see how some of Jesus' teachings can be hard to accept. But Jesus speaks often against the use of force, and so he withdraws. But is that the only reason why he withdrew? Perhaps he withdrew because they fundamentally misunderstood what God's desire was for his Messiah. You know, they had their own desire. And they expected it to be fulfilled, and it wasn't. And they they thought Jesus might be the one to do it. And Jesus, knowing that that was their intention, withdrew and went away so that they couldn't sweep him up in a crowd and go march on Jerusalem and have a revolution. And so we see Jesus, he, he goes to the other side of the lake, and everybody's looking for him. Um, and they can't find him. And so in John chapter 6 verse 25 it says when they found him so the crowd looks for jesus because they want to find him right because they're like this is our king and he gives us bread when they found him on the other side of the lake they asked him rabbi when did you get here jesus answered very truly i tell you you are looking for me not because you saw the signs i performed but because you ate the loaves and had your fill do not work for food that spoils But for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on Him God the Father has placed His seal of approval. So here Jesus launches in right away. He says, "Listen, you guys are looking for me, and you wonder how I got here because you didn't see me go in a boat. Well, here's the reality: you guys are looking for me for all the wrong reasons. You look for me because you want bread, because bread is delicious, and who doesn't want bread? Right? It's an understandable impulse. This guy hands out bread; it's free." I'll go there. Sounds good. You know, when they're giving out free movie tickets, I show up. And so these people they wanted the bread, but they also wanted Jesus to be king. Right? They they had these two desires and they were both kind of connected. And in verse 27, Jesus he gives them a gentle correction. He says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So now he's he makes a distinction. He says, there's food that spoils. That's the bread that I gave you. That would that would have gone bad if you had held on to it long enough. But work for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, that is me, I will give you that bread. And that food that Jesus is talking about, he's going to explain what he means more as he goes on. But I want you to think about what are the things that our society teaches us to desire. And it causes us pain, the things that we desire, because many times we can't have them. It teaches us to desire riches, Right? Definitely riches, romantic relationships and fulfillment, Uh, you know, perhaps a stereotypical pattern of life followed by retirement and then death. Sounds really good, right? Uh, They desire, they want us to desire peace and safety and comfort, above all comfort. If anything makes you uncomfortable, it must be wrong and destroyed. It's bad. And all these things, there's many more, right? There's desires that we have just for people to respect us, to, to look up to us, to maybe even Maybe even we desire to lord it over people and have power over them. And we have many desires for things that do not last. No matter how rich you are, that bank account will run dry. No matter how uh, powerful you are, your power has a limit. No matter how much you enjoy your retirement, eventually your retirement ends. And I know that's kind of a dark message, but it's just the truth. And Jesus is offering something far better. He's offering them a bread, a food that endures to eternal life. He's offering them something that's eternal and will never, ever spoil or perish. And he says, I'll give that to you. And so they ask him, they're like, hey, that sounds good. In verse 28, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. So now we get into a discussion about Israelite history. And they're talking about the manna. The manna is a, sort of a shorthand form of manahu, manuha. I'm not good at Hebrew. But the point is what they, they called it was, what is it? That's the Hebrew name for this manna. But it was a bread that God sent them to sustain them in a challenging time. And they are looking for that bread. They're like, okay, give us a sign. Give us some more of that bread you gave us last time. Right? That sounds really good. And Jesus basically says, no, the bread of God comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Not just to you but to the whole world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. They said, that sounds really good. I'd love to have bread that gives me life, that keeps me alive. It's you know, kind of like Lemmas bread in Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you've seen it. Think on it. It's pretty similar. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And so now Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And if you jump down to verse 40, it says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. You know, I am the bread of life. You must believe in me. Believe isn't just a, well, intellectually agree. This word means to give your trust, put your assurance in, put your hope in. Perhaps even some scholars have said allegiance, right? So whoever is allied to me, whoever follows me, I will give them life. And he, and he says in verse 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks at the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about Him because they said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can we now say, I came down from heaven? So here, they, they start to become upset. You know, they're thinking, Jesus won't give us what we want. We want bread, and instead, he's, He just wants us to want Him. And this is where the conversation goes completely awry. They're complaining. They're upset. You know, this type of complaining is recorded also in Exodus 17 and 16 and 18, where the Israelites complain against Moses because they were hungry and they didn't have what they wanted. And so God sends them the manna. And so the response of the Israelites in Moses' time is the exact same in Jesus' time. But this time it's for a fundamentally different reason. Is because they desired the wrong thing. You know, God wanted the Israelites in the wilderness to be fed. And He wants these Israelites to be fed. But He wants them to see that the bread that Jesus gave them is just a signpost pointing towards Jesus Himself. You know, just a chapter earlier in John 5, Jesus said, You believe that, the, that by the Scriptures you have life, yet you refuse to come to Me. That you can have eternal life. You know, the scriptures testify about Jesus. The bread testified about Jesus and it pointed to him. And it goes on, you know, that the disciples hear this teaching and they also kind of are like, this is hard to accept. But they decide to accept the teaching and trust Jesus because they said, you have the words of eternal life. And so there's a pattern here that's being followed of people hearing the teaching and struggling with it. And they're left to respond. You know, and Jesus, he knew that people would respond this way. He's not surprised. He's, he's read the story of the manna, and he knows that it's even harder to accept that he is the bread of life. And so what do we take away from this story? Okay, what can we take away? I think the first point is this desire is real and very normal to mankind. We want bread. We want food. We want money. We want family. But all of our desires are a signpost pointing to someone greater. You know, when I first decided to follow Jesus, my desires changed. You know, all the things that I used to want so bad, they just, they diminished and my desire for Jesus grew. And it's been growing ever since. And I've been fighting to help it grow and nourish that seed of desire. You know, if this is your first time listening to a sermon, or maybe it's your third or your fourth I encourage you, nourish that desire for Jesus. I think we all have it somewhere. We have a desire for something greater than us. And Jesus is the true path, the true way. And that desire is, is real and it can be satisfied. I've experienced that. But we have to be transformed in our heart. I think one of the problems that we have is that all the time we're feeding a desire for things other than Jesus. We, you know, if you consider how many hours of media in different forms, Instagram, YouTube, whatever it may be, t- television that you consume every single week, you would begin to understand how much it forms your desires, how much your desire for your future is created by these media that you watch. And, and I'm just as guilty. I watch television, I watch these things, but I fight to also cultivate another desire, a greater desire, a truer desire. A desire to be close to Jesus and be with Him and receive from Him bread that leads to eternal life. You know, so what does this mean? I want, to, I want you to consider Matthew 6. Jesus says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened you know, many people have twisted this passage to mean if I ask God for money, he'll give it to me. If I ask God for things that I want, he'll give it to me. Not at all what this means. Jesus is offering that they could seek and find God and they would be blessed by doing that. You know, he says, he closes out this this part, or I want to close out this part by saying, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? If Jesus is the true bread, and you seek Him diligently, you will find Him. And I've lived that, and I've experienced that. Jesus also practically quoted this passage in His response to the Israelites and their complaining. In Isaiah 55, He says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? You know, I want you to ask yourself, just take a moment, what do my actions show that I desire the most? Our actions show what we want. Maybe it's money, maybe it's comfort, or maybe it's a romantic relationship, or maybe it's time alone in the wilderness. You know, the things that you seek out and spend your time on, that shows what you desire. But why is it that we always need more? You know, we get what we want and we need more. We get time off from work with this whole whatever thing going on, and we want more. We get lots of money because the stock market did well for us, and we want more. You know, we we just want more and more. Why? Because he says it does not satisfy. So what does satisfy? What is the bread that satisfies? He says, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. You know, Jesus basically quoted this to the people. And his intention was that they would understand that his words are life. And that in them you find what satisfies. But the words themselves are not what satisfies. It's the one who spoke the words that satisfies us. And he uses the words to pull us into and draw us in to a relationship with him. Just as Jesus said, those who the Father draws to him can come. And Jesus uses his gospel message and his word to draw us in. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to really use this time to absorb the word. Eat it like food. The Bible over and over uses a metaphor of food for the word of God. Milk, you know, uh, bread. And in, in the book of Hebrews, it, it gives a warning to the people who are already Christians. And he says, you know, that you should be teachers by now, but you need, you need milk, not solid food. And so he's telling them, you just haven't put in the time or effort to really eat this feast and enjoy it. And I want to I ask you to consider that your desires can change. You know, you, you can feel like your desires are set where they are. And the principles of the world tell us that's not true. People change their desires all the time. But God is offering a new desire, a higher desire, a desire that is perhaps not quite as natural to us as the desires for, for the things that we normally want. In Psalm 4, it says, Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. So, here in this psalm, he's seeing all his enemies, all the people that hate him, having so much bread and wine and all the good things of this life. And he says, Lord, fill my heart with joy, even though I don't have those things, and they do. Habakkuk 3:17 through 19 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, that all the olive produce fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold. And there be no hurt in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. God can give us a new desire that can be satisfied no matter our circumstances. You know, Paul said, I have learned the secret of being content no matter the circumstance. And that secret is Christ. That secret is the bread of life that came down from heaven and has blessed us. You know, and so I'm so grateful that you guys gave me this opportunity to speak to you. Has given me the opportunity to talk about something that can be admittedly difficult. But I want you to just reflect on this today and consider how can I cultivate that desire in me, that new desire that Jesus offers? How can I work with God's spirit and his word to be transformed in terms of what I, even what I want at just the root level of your heart. So amen. Thank you so much for listening and I hope we have a a great rest of our service.